Okay, here we go. She Runs Ultras, episode number three. The one about the Barkley Fall Classic. So a couple of years ago, a few friends that I met at another awesome race, the Ragged 75 Stage Race, introduced me to the Barkley Fall Classic. Now, I knew about the big Barkley and had already watched all the documentaries and any other videos that I could get my hands on about a hundred times, but I didn't know about the fall classic. So I'm assuming that there are some of you out there, especially if you're new to ultras that don't know about the Barkley in general, and definitely don't know about the BFC. So the Barkley is a race that takes place in Tennessee and it's put on by a guy named Lazarus Lake. Well, his real name is Gary Cantrell, and this whole race is based on the 1977 escape of James Earl Ray, the guy who assassinated Martin Luther King Jr., from Bushy State Penitentiary. So he broke out, and after 55 hours on the run, had only made it eight miles from the prison. Laz heard this and mockingly said that he could cover probably 100 miles during that same time frame, and that's how the Barkley was born. The Barkley Marathons, as it's called, is a 100-mile race with a 60-hour time limit. But if you talk to anybody who's actually done the race, they'll tell you it's way more than 100 miles. If you haven't seen the movie, The Barkley Marathons, The Race That Eats Its Young, I would highly recommend it. It's such a good flick. The BFC is a version of the Barkley. It's held in the same place, Frozen Head State Park in Tennessee. And some of the BFC course is on the same paths and trails as the Big Barkley. One thing that the two races have in common is that you can't just sign up and participate. There's an application process for the Barkley Marathons and a lottery for the BFC. And because the BFC is a lottery and because so many people are interested in doing it, I never actually thought that I would get in. So I just threw my name into the hat and waited. To my shock and surprise, about a week or so later, I got an email, the subject of which was, we regret to inform you, dot, 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 that you've been selected to participate in the 2019 BFC. Holy shit. There's a whole Facebook group devoted to this race. It's for people that have done the race, those that are signed up to do it in the future, and basically just Barkley fanatics. But the difference between this Facebook group and others related to races that you might be in is that the people in this group actively tell tall tales about the race. Each year, the course is different and totally unpublished. You don't know what the course is until you arrive in Tennessee and pick up your race packet the day before. The fact that they also do not allow GPS devices should not come as a big surprise. This is a big no-no. So if you're thinking about doing this race, don't make the mistake of thinking that you're going to be the one that will be able to get away with it and sneak your GPS watch in. I can't reveal how they know, but I can tell you that the year I ran, they busted a lot of people. And there are penalties. You're allowed like a regular watch, but nothing with GPS on it. The other thing about this race is the mystery and the unknown. 
Those that have done the race before understand just how amazing it is and were committed to kind of honoring Laz's wishes about not divulging any key details about the race. These days, you can look up just about every aspect of any race out there, and the fact that you can show up on race day to the BFC and have almost no idea what to expect is part of the excitement and the allure. If this doesn't sound at all enticing to you, do not put your name in the lottery. One of my favorite pastimes for the year or so leading up to the race was watching Laz post in the Facebook group about the number of people that were dropping out of the race and the people that were moving up off the wait list. Okay, so fast forward to race day. I show up early morning to Frozen Head State Park, and ironically, a few of my friends from the Ragged Stage Race also got into the BFC. We met at the start to discuss our strategies, wish each other luck, and pray. (laughs) That year, we got to start out on the pavement for a little bit, um, maybe like a mile or so before ducking into the woods. This was a nice little warm-up, and since it was a mass start, I thought it would give us time to kind of space out. I was wrong. (laughs) One of the first woods sections went from a Jeep road all the way down to single track, single file. And with upwards of like 500 people, it got real tight, real fast. There were times that I was standing still in a line waiting for people ahead of me to go anxiously looking at my watch and trying to do the math in my head about how fast I needed to go. And, you know, the other thing about this race that you should probably know, no one knows how long it is. Even though there's a map, there are no mile markers. And something else I should mention, there are two possible finishing options. The first is kind of a full BFC finish, and the second is what Laz calls a marathon finish. So how do you know which one you'll do? Well, it all depends on what time you get to decision point. And this is just a spot on the race course, like an aid station with a bag drop. And if you get there by a certain time of day, you're cleared to continue on. If you miss that cutoff, you're directed to the marathon finish. And this is totally for safety purposes. With that many people out on the course, they need to have some way to ensure everyone gets home safely. All right, so back to the start of the race. I'm in line towards the back of the pack, anxiously looking at what's ahead of me and watching my watch. Finally, I make the decision to break free of the pack and start passing people kind of like on both sides, depending on the pitch of the hill that we were climbing. I can distinctly remember a girl saying to me as I went by her, save something for later, honey, you're going to burn yourself out. (laughs) To which I remember thinking, if you wait around in this long ass line, you're not going to make the first time cut off, which is at the top of the hill. There were plenty of people that were more than gracious as I passed them, saying things like, oh, you want to get by? Absolutely, go right ahead. But there were also plenty of people that were not happy with me for breaking ranks and passing. I heard a few snide comments, and there were even a few people that actively tried to block me from going by. Tough shit, I thought. I was on a mission. Funny thing happened when I broke out of the ranks, though. Tons of people went with me. It started a series of mini packs of people just leapfrogging others, and it was kind of fun to watch. 
my husband Adam and I were discussing my strategy on the way down to Tennessee and I made it abundantly clear to him that I did not come all this way to DNF or to only get a marathon finish. I was going to bust my ass and go as hard and as fast as I could in order to make all the time cutoffs and finish the whole damn thing. So there was no way that I was going to get timed out on the first cutoff because I got hemmed up at the back of the pack. I can't describe too much more here without giving away my location on the course. And this is actually going to be a theme for this whole podcast. So if you walk away from having listened to it, utterly confused, that's okay. I've done my job of preserving the BFC mystique. Once I cleared the first three hours um, on the course, things got a little easier from a terrain perspective. I knew that Tennessee was going to be a lot like New Hampshire, and I'd spent a lot of time, hours really, on local mountains here in New Hampshire going up and down, up and down, up and down. One day I even did six repeats and passed people multiple times, and of course I got a lot of really weird looks. But then there are those that know what you're up to and they step aside and cheer you on. There are a couple notable sections of the BFC course that overlap with the big Barkley course. And if you've watched the films or documentaries, you'll have heard of the places that I'm going to describe. So a few notable spots are Rat Jaw, Testicle Spectacle, and Meth Lab each with its own unique terrain and challenges. I'll share my experiences on each of these and then tell you kind of a little bit about the end of my race. And I'll go in order of least challenging to most challenging for me anyway. I can't speak for anybody else that's done this race. So Meth Lab is first. Um, I wasn't ever really a huge fan of Breaking Bad, but I did live in the desert for about a year. So running this section of the course took me right back to my days in Arizona, hot, dry, and dusty, lots of rocks and shale and totally desiccated branches that look like they'll be helpful as you're sliding down the chute, but then they just snap off in your hands. I basically did this whole section by running and sliding on my feet as if I were kind of shooting across an ice skating rink or alternately sliding on my ass covered by my hands, of course. And yes, I would highly recommend you have gloves. By the time I got to the end of this section, I was covered in a thin layer of dust and was in desperate need of water. Next up is testicle spectacle. This section runs under some power lines and it's known for being steep and slippery. As you come up to the entrance, it really drops off dramatically, kind of like a cliff. And you can see uh, all these little dots of color. (laughs) They're actually athletes, humans, dancing around through the brush along underneath the lines. This was a spectacle for sure. My whole goal with this one was not to come out of it looking like a farm pig glossed in mud. And second to that, I just didn't want to slip and take anybody else out, which is a real thing. Although when it does happen, nobody is all that pissed because it's almost virtually unavoidable. My year, you had to go down and then come back up. And honestly, I couldn't tell you which direction was harder. Both presented serious challenges and both were really tough. And last but not least, Ratjaw, everyone's favorite. 
By the time I reached Ratjaw, it was just past noon and blazing hot. I opted to wear my hydration pack with a full bladder of tailwind, and I'd been blazing through the whole thing by the time I reached every single aid station. And luckily, I had the opportunity to fill up not long before I started up Ratjaw, so I was really thankful for that. So Ratcha is a short but really steep climb up to a fire tower underneath underneath another set of power lines. And if you watch the movie, you'll see this section is all mowed down for the Barkley Marathons. And that happens in the spring. But the BFC is in the fall. And by the, that time of year, that section of the course is totally overgrown with pricker bushes. The other thing I should mention is I don't really like snakes. (laughs) We've got lots of them up here in New Hampshire, but we don't have many of the poisonous kind, at least not where I am. But I'd been hearing stories about snakes on the course for like a full year ahead of time, and I was terrified. So one of my objectives was to always be behind someone so that they would see the snake first. Don't know if it worked or not, but I didn't see any snakes the whole day, so I guess I would call that a win. I bring this up because I heard later on after the race that while climbing Ratjaw, one of the racers was on their hands and knees crawling up the incline. Yes, it is actually that steep. And they looked over to their right and underneath their pricker bushes was a rattlesnake all curled up, not two feet away. Luckily, I was totally unaware of this while I was going up Ratjaw. The only thing that I was worried about was how badly I was getting scratched up from all the pricker bushes. If I can dig it up, I'll post a pic of my arms after the race. (laughs) I looked like I got into a fight with about a thousand cats. It's hard to really describe the magic that is Ratjaw just to show you how hard this race is and just how hot it was on that day. I'm, I'll share kind of a couple things that I saw on Ratjaw. So right at the entrance, there was this kid kind of posted up on a dirt berm totally puking his guts out. I obviously stopped and checked on him. He said he was fine and he just, you know, had to like get it all out, which I can totally relate to. So that was like my first experience heading into Ratcha. And I thought, oh my God, (laughs) if this is happening at the base of Ratcha, what is going to be happening further up the line? About halfway up the hill, there was a little like access road and a couple volunteer medics were kind of hanging out there in the shade. They had a few random bottles of water uh, for basically emergency purposes, but they were not an aid station by any stretch of the imagination. I mentioned to them about the kid at the bottom of the hill and they radioed off to have somebody go and check on him. I stepped into the shade for a minute to cool off, and as I did this, it was weird. There was like a wave of people behind me that follow suit. They stepped into the shade, only they didn't stay upright. They started to lay down and sprawl out on the ground. Honestly, they did not look good. Most of them were pale and really sweaty and very, very lethargic. 
I moved quickly out of there because I didn't want to get any ideas about sitting down. Um, so I just kind of continued up Ratjaw, climbed the fire tower, got my bib punched and continued on down the course. There's a bunch of stuff that I'm just going to skip over here, but I did finally make it to decision point and I was really looking forward to this. Not only because I had worked really hard up to this point, but also because it meant that I was on the home stretch. I texted my husband Adam to tell him that I had made it in time and that I was going to continue on for a full finish to which he replied, of course you are. I uh, grabbed everything I needed out of my drop bag, including my headlamp, and this was actually required because of the time of day, and kind of ducked down onto the trail. I guess I should also mention that if you get to this point before the cutoff, you can actively choose which way you want to go. You can continue for a full finish, or you can opt for the marathon, which is shorter. So the last few miles were kind of a blur. The sun was starting to set and I was just trying to focus on staying upright, not tripping and not getting lost. The crowd of people really thinned out after decision point and there were really long stretches of time that I ran by myself. So like I said, I was really trying not to get lost. The last thing I wanted to do was to wander off trail or miss a turn and be in Frozen Head State Park with the snakes (laughs) all by myself. When we kind of hit the same Jeep road that we started out on, I instantly recognized where we were and got really excited. And then when we hit the pavement, I got even more excited. (laughs) I could hear people at the finish line cheering, but by now it was, like I said, it was like pretty dark and I couldn't really see faces. Plus, (laughs) let's be honest, I was super tired, Uh, but I heard a few of my friends yelling my name as I turned the corner to the finishing chute. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, it was such a cool experience. It's like hard to really even describe it accurately, but it was also hard. I mean, I actively told people for the longest time that I didn't ever need to do that race again because it was so hard. But then I heard a lot of people recapping their 2020 experience and I got jealous and nostalgic and that's when I put my name back into the hat And I got selected again. By miracle of all miracles, I'm going back for 2021. So I told you guys that I was going to share a little bit about my training process. And as I'm kind of like just getting started right now, like getting things into place, it seems like a good time to kind of let you in and share what I've been doing. So I've been doing this step challenge with the ladies in my private Facebook group since the beginning of November, and this is something that I actually started for my own training back in January of 2019. I took a look at my calendar and saw all the races that I had planned, and quite frankly, a lot of them scared me, and I didn't know how I was going to get started training for such a big year. So I decided I would just walk. I would walk 15,000 steps per day for the whole month of January. And this was quite possibly the best decision I could have ever made. It got me out there and I was able to build up my aerobic capacity slowly without the pressure to like push and run 
and go hard, as well as it was really great to kind of build up time on my feet. So by the time that month was over, I felt ready to actually add running in. Like there were times I can remember being out on a walk and wanting to run, feeling like that was the next natural thing that I should be doing. But I had to really kind of rein it in and just say, nope, my objective for this month is walking. So that's what I'm going to do again this year. Right now, the month of December, my daily step goal is 10,000 steps a day, and I'll bump it up to 15 again in January. So this is a step that I think too many people skip. They just want to run or, you know, kind of just be a runner, and they don't take the time to build up before they dive right into big mileage weeks. And then they wonder why they're not feeling good or why things are starting to break down or why they're in pain all the time. And like I was one of these people, you know, I mentioned back in a previous episode, the training plan that I got from my first coach that had me doing too much too fast. And I didn't have the adequate base to support what he was asking me to do. So if I could give you one piece of advice as a new runner or someone that's new to ultras, it would be to get really good at walking before you start running. I know it's so simple that it almost sounds silly, but it's my proven secret weapon and I'm giving it to you. So use it wisely. I'm also doing more strength training and in a future episode, I'll share some of the routines that I'm doing with body weight movements and just basic free weights that I have around the house. And just like you've got to be able to walk before you can run, you've got to be able to push your own body weight around before you can start using lots of dumbbells, kettlebells, or, you know, doing super fancy flashy workouts. I'm all about sustainable training. So stay tuned for those. In the next episode, I'm going to get into some of the nitty gritty aspects of training. So not only those workouts that I mentioned, but also some of the mindset stuff that I've been noticing in myself and a couple of my one-on-one clients. For me, taking a full year off from running has quite frankly really messed with my head. And some days I find myself thinking, can I really do this again? But since I've done it before, I know the answer to that question is not can I, it's how will I? And the answer to that is having a really solid plan and being ruthlessly consistent. Hey, real quick, I want to share a funny conversation that I had the other night with a listener named Frank. He told me how much he enjoyed the podcast, but that he wished the episodes were just a little bit longer. Apparently, he had to listen to episode two two times in a row because he hit a real tough section in his workout and couldn't break to change the podcast. So request heard, Frank. I'm still getting the hang of this whole podcasting thing, and I'm working up to creating some longer episodes for your longer workouts. So this week, I'd love to hear about your training secret weapons. Is there something that you do as part of your training plan that you swear by? You can email it to me at megan at megan-gould.com or post about it on Instagram and tag me at find your ultra. 
And of course, I want to end each episode with a little mini dance party because trail running, ultras, and dance parties just go hand in hand in hand. So whether you're listening in your car or while you're out on a walk or run or just working out, enjoy this beat and I'll see you all soon. 